every single time I've designed almost anything during my entire life, the first thing I, I do is I, I look at both sides of the coin at that moment. So I can design a hammer, but are you going to build a house with it or are you going to knock somebody out with it? Even 3D printers. When when 3D printers were first coming out, which is like the mid-90s, I started to see them at, at technical, technical school conferences. Um, the very first thing I thought in my head but did not say out loud because I'm like, this will happen. And it did happen. I said, imagine if I were sitting on a plane, I had access via, say, like a smartphone, and I could send a file from my phone to my printer at home. And by the time I got there, I had a template to put together a disposable gun. It's been done. It's been done. So those are the things that people like me need to think about at the at the onset, because we can see how those things progress and it, it, it's I cannot afford with some of the things that I do to be, you know, willfully ignorant. Hello and welcome to another episode of David Talks With, a podcast that popularizes without compromising serious science. This is your host, David Jong, and today I'm in conversation with Mr. Aaron Billet. Mr. Billet is an inventor, culinary instructor, and freelance interpreter. In this episode, we talked about design thinking, methods of learning, and how to create meaningful products. I found our topics very helpful in many ways, and I hope you do so as well. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to David Talks With on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or any platform of choice. Wherever you're tuning in from, I hope you enjoy this episode and have a wonderful day. Mr. Billet, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time, and let's get started. Certainly, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm very much looking forward to this. So let's start with a question on the human brain. What is something okay. about the brain that you have found to be very intriguing or that has attracted your attention? Okay, yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I find really fascinating is the ability to just to adapt and have neuroplasticity. And so I looked into a lot of the different things that allow that to happen. And I learned a lot about that, not only from personal experience, but also kind of reaching across various disciplines and seeing any kind of analogs that were there, right? So it's informed me quite a bit on AI, for example. It's informed me on traffic patterns, all kinds of things that maybe are not you know, seemingly obvious to a lot of people. I tend to see those things quite easily. Um, however, as a child, actually, I had several brain surgeries, which were obviously in neurological in nature. Um, and after many, many surgeries, you know, the fact that I was re able to recover and still be, you know, a functional member of society is I'm obviously appreciative of it. Um, and so what I started to do is kind of look across all kinds of disciplines and see what are the things that we could do with the absolute most advanced technology to address the issues of things like brain cancer and cysts and all these other things that occur in the neurological world. And so one of the things that I was looking at is 
they have what they call a, a resection surgery. And so that's the one that most people are probably familiar with, where you physically go and take a physical piece of the brain out. Okay, there's there's other types as well, like disconnect and all kinds of neat stuff. But the uh, in this case, the resection where you're physically pulling that piece of brain out. So I thought, okay, if that's the case, we we now have a piece that has definite volume, definite shape, et cetera, et cetera. What can really what can we do with that? Because now we're giving someone essentially a neurological deficit. They call neurological insult as a result of taking a piece of their brain out. So I thought there's got to be a way to fix that. Right. So I thought, what if we could take a resection, take this physical piece of brain? out go into while while in the operating theater in real time go over take a three-dimensional what they call a volumetric scan where you can see it from every given access size dimension etc etc and then use that to form a real-time CAD model where you could then take things like cellulose 3d printing and print print a physical mold in real time and then using things like alginate gel, for example, you could actually fill that in and physically remold a, a kind of a, a sort of jigsaw puzzle piece to go back in the brain where you just took that, that tissue out, right? And so by populating this with, uh, whether it be soft nanoparticles, whether it be liposomes, you're, you're trying to give functionality back to that area that has been removed. And things like alginate, for example, have naturally occurring na uh, nanopores. So when you look at the brain as a whole globally, you say, okay, what is it that the brain does other than structural? Well, it's all it's also needs to have, you know, fluid movement through it. So if I am designing this, how do I get the fluids through it? If I'm designing this, how do I ensure that there's a, a replacement for what, what would have been the glial cells, these supporting structures, okay, I use the gel. If I have lip, liposomes or if I have micelles or if I have um, any other kind of, of stem cell material, by those attaching on the interface between the living brain and this fabricated structure, you then have the ability for it to start to actually creep in and create physical hardwired connections with new neurons. It also so happens that things like boron, elemental boron, um, on the brain actually help with things like uh, memory, motor control, things of that nature. So it's very useful to say someone that has, let's say, Parkinson's or, or what have you, you can then go and actually put a dispersion of this in and have it have it just kind of spread through and maybe even help someone's memory or, or cognition. Indeed. So let's dive deeper on this insertion and replacement technology. So what are some of the potential incompatibilities that may arise? I mean, since you're interjecting like a foreign part into somebody's brain. Right. right. No, absolutely. Yeah. Now, see, al alginate is completely bio-friendly, bio completely bio-friendly. And it also has the structural components and the rigidity and the things that would make it compatible with this application. So it's, I don't, if you're familiar with the term uh, synergesis, where you see things that are like in gels um, that tend to kind of uh, exude the liquid after where the water component kind of comes out. So if you've ever seen like, you know, yogurt has synergesis, for example, the water component, right? So 
this this is made in such a way where there's enough channels within that you've got things like uh, cerebral spinal fluid, any kind of blood exchange that's able to permeate this structure and connect to existing tissues. So it was meant to use a biological structure, which is then compatible with the an already living structure for that good that good melding of those properties. And how long have you been working on this idea? Um, two months. Two months. So mm -hmm. two months in, and so far you've made a lot of progress. I would say that that in understanding, I mean, and I appreciate the compliment. Obviously, um, <clears throat> I would say I'd make a I'd made a lot of progress in the way to approach the different uh, aspects of it because of I have a pretty non typical background and so a lot of the things that i've learned how to approach something as as complex as this not only comes from my, my personal neurological history it also comes from being a, a former chef and chef instructor so seeing analogs that are present in food every day that may be uh a, a typical researcher because they, they don't have that intimate knowledge in that area can't say like, oh, well, this really is like this, but I never thought of it that way. And this is how, so I tend to make those, those greater connections, no pun intended, obviously, as to how, uh, as to how it might work, should they all be combined holistically. Yeah. So about your way of thinking, you were in culinary, you're an inventor, and you've worked as a translator. So your experience seems to be all over the place. And why is that? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because as disparate as those all seem, they really aren't. They really do have a, a common through line. Um, and what a lot of that has to do with, I always wanted to go to uh, to chef school, but even from the time I was a kid. And so I worked at a restaurant while in high school. I had one of my chef instructors uh, when I was attending career and technical school, people used to call Votech school. Um, I then went on to the CIA. No, not that CIA, the Culinary, the Culinary Institute of America, where I got a fantastic education beyond compare. <laughs> right. The other, well, and it's funny too, because right, we have the we had the acronym first because the other CIA was founded in 47 and we were founded in 46. So beat them to it, right? <laughs> but but uh, but again, linking linking this all together, right? So I had the culinary uh, experience, uh, and then I transitioned from from that to becoming a chef instructor, and in the meantime, was teaching uh, at some points culinary completely bilingually, right? So what I what I've done throughout is tried to make. The, the connections that I know are highly valuable that, uh, you know, when I was in high school, for example, I would go to, when I would go to a restaurant, there's, you know, a bunch of Latinos in the, in the kitchen. So it's like, if I learn Spanish, I will have a better, a better opportunity in the job market if I do this. Right. So, so it, everything was kind of strategically planned. Uh, and then even now with, with interpreting, bringing just a, 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 a myriad of different uh, experiences has been uh, very, very useful to me uh, and even let me see things in a much in, in an even more different way, right? Because if you, I'm 
as I know you, you're a multilingual as well, but for anyone out there that's ever studied, for example, Spanish, you'll have these, these stems or these roots. And it's like, okay, this means this so far, but when I add these endings, it makes them mean something else. So if you look at it like a multi-tool, whenever I think about something, I say at the base of it, just like if you will hear like, like, like the root or the stem of a verb in Spanish, what I say is, what do I really need to get down to as the absolute, absolute base, whether it's theory, structure, whatever else. And then just like in, again, using the Spanish analogy, putting those different endings on that stem, give it different functions, right? So it's like when you can see and make those comparisons between, okay, well, when I see, you know, this, I'm actually seeing this. So, um, whether it be even looking at say like food food is a met food's a metamaterial yeah right if you look at a sandwich a sandwich is is a, it's a laminar structure yeah you, you spread you spread butter on the bread and put it on the grill you've just functionalized it that's functionalization of material etc so you seem to be very good at finding these synergies across multiple fields and disciplines do you approach this ahead of time like do you have it all detailed out and mapped out or is this really after the fact thinking it's it's a little bit of both it's a little bit of both so if i want to solve a, a given problem i will do the research I, I will have an idea as to what i think might be an analogy to it and then i'll go and i'll either confirm that or deny that through research and they're like okay that makes sense what can we now do with it right? Or here's what people are doing. Here's the thing that they say they're working on that they haven't yet fixed. And I'll go, oh, that's that's just like this. And then I can use my background to, inf to inform myself as to how to move forward. Yeah. So the problem solving mindset, see a problem, tackle a problem, find connections, and then address the problem. But you've also mentioned a lot of fundamental skills that you possess. Do you think, how important do you think these fundamental skills are in terms of solving problems and do you mind defining these fundamental skills they are they are invaluable invaluable um so i think i think that sometimes people think in too much of a concrete way yes. and when you can go into the abstract into the into the conceptual level of something they're like okay if i say i want the definition of this okay so i go but guess what uh, it's, it's like, okay, what's a light? And you go, okay, well, a light can be an LED. A light can be a light bulb. A light can be, um, you know, thermionic emission from something that's a glowing tip in yeah. plasma. But it's, it's like, at the end of the day, right, exactly. So at the end of the day, if you if some, you say to somebody, what's a light? And they say, well, this flashlight, okay. It contains the word light, yes. But what is it actually doing? It's illuminating something through some kind of process. So I look at things that that's something that, that I've always recommended to, to my students as well is uh, how to look at something so that you understand how it applies across a universe of applications rather than just what you're looking. That's, that's the true sense of out of the box thinking. It's like, okay, I'm an engineer. I study this and this and this. Okay. That's great. And you might know that and that and that perfect. But when you go to apply it to other applications, so you're like, okay, that's not my wheelhouse. Well, it's like, yes, it is, but 
if you can't see, for example, that whether you're using a, a welding torch or whether you're using a, a caulking gun or whether you're, you're applying, a, you know, um, frosting on a cake, it's all the same principle, just different media. Would you say that the ability to identify the more common channels in terms of these different skills, do you think that's based on experience or knowledge from other people or just a keen observation? I think I think all three of those apply, actually. Um, I mean, I've had different I, I've, I've worked in various scenarios from literally the homeless to multimillionaires. So you get exposure to even the, the different, you know, socioeconomic strata, which informs you in, in certain ways philosophically. Uh, you learn things again from like classical teachers and whatnot, academic things. That's great. And, you know, as any of us have, there's always that trial and error. And that's, there's always that, that insatiable curiosity to do something that hopefully has never been done before, but will work. How important do you think is reflection and introspection in this process? Do you reflect a lot on what you've done? I will, if I have the chance, I will literally sit and think for four hours straight. For four hours straight. Absolutely. How do you do that? Your, your intention span incredibly long? What A lot of what it comes down to is uh, patience and not having the fear of failure, right? So it's like, if I, if I, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of a specific example right now, but um, I know that I am unable both physically and at my age to go and play for the NBA, right? It doesn't mean that I won't, that I won't play a basketball game. But it means that I will have to adapt to my specific needs, whether it is whether it's a conventional way or not, that actual adaptability is what facilitates it for me. And at the end of the day, if you're doing it for your own purposes, don't box yourself in by classical like rules. No, no. Yeah. Flexibility is key. Sort of like neuroplasticity in the brain. I mean, a lot of people with uh dysfunctional parts might have other parts that just come up and replace its functionality and work um, works perfectly fine and and see that that's that's great that you that you actually said that because um that was the part actually with this with this like lego piece of like artificial brain tissue is the theory was uh as you were saying like there's what they call functional neuroplasticity where you know it's like okay this part no longer works so you over there and this part of the brain take over, make it happen. Right. Yeah. And so, and, but there's also structural neuroplasticity where, where the actual surface area and, and, and undulations and, and convolutions on the brain proper will actually physically change with attainment of new knowledge and new experiences. So the goal there was not only to say, okay, there's a piece missing, let's replace it. The, the other idea was combining what I had mentioned prior with, say, like uh, cognitive therapy, where you could potentially, again, this is obviously theory, right? You could theoretically put that new piece of artificial brain tissue in, and then by training, or whether it's through phys whether it's through like physical OT, PT, uh, you know, uh, speech pathology, whatever, you might be able to literally have the brain adapt and shift that functionality from where it's been dealing with it in the meantime and force it back into place once that tissue recognizes this is where I belong and this is where that skill set belongs. 
to just take a deeper dive onto that, the common perception is that certain parts of the brain may have certain functionalities. Um, are you saying that these functionalities can actually change over time or is there like a general correlation? Both. Both. So, so yes, there are, there are, you know, there are region specifics of the brain that control various aspects. Absolutely. But then there are also things um, that depending upon, you know, traumatic brain injury, whatever it, that, if that is like saying, okay, we don't have a full connection here anymore, but we still have to get this job done. Let's divide our resources, kind of divide and conquer and go over here and see how we can adapt to what's deficient in one area to another. But the thing is, you, people can also, again, like if you've taken any kind of anyone that's taken any kind of like a rehabilitation of any kind through that practice, through the the different exercises, cognitive behavioral therapy, et cetera, people start to make actual physical connections on a neurological level. Again, whether it's atrophied beyond repair is, is you know, an individual thing. But uh, if you could transfer through neuroplasticity, the reconnection of this area, except now you're just doing it through an artificial mass. I think a lot of times it's pretty incredible how much the brain is able to accomplish. I mean, the brain is the most complicated machine we know so far, not to call humans machines, but the brain is very, very, very intricate and elaborate. I mean, for goodness sake, it runs on five watts of power. ChatGPT runs on thousands and thousands more of that. It's interesting that you said that because uh, one of the things I wanted to to bring up with you as well is because of that, because of, of the natural voltage in there, like you said, the wattage in there, uh, if you're not familiar or anyone else, and I can't presume either way, what a, a TPMS sensor is, a tire pressure monitoring system. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? Okay, so basically it's there, there's a small battery that powers essentially a radio antenna and when there, there's a difference from, from the base pressure to lower pressure, it sends a signal to the computer in your car and it says, hey, there's something wrong here. I see. Right. So it's all it's all through RF. So that being said, uh, what we've seen over the last couple of years is that things like graphene have the ability when there are things like ionic droplets that go across its surface area, it will produce an electric current. And so if you can imagine taking even say like graphene like structures, putting them in this gel and that way as any ionic fluid flows over it. And if not, here's where the, where this is what they call the, the, the MEMS, the M-E-M-S, which is the microelectric uh, mechanical system. That's the thing that lets your, your, your tire, your tire pressure sensor work. And so you may have heard of things like the lab on a chip as well. It will take in different fluids. It will analyze it. It'll put it back out. It can give you results. And it's completely a completely self-contained system. If anyone out there has ever seen like the, the blood monitoring system that you put on your shoulder, that's a MEMS device. That's a this ultra, ultra small device. So it's also the things that you have on, on your backup sensors on your car. Okay, so it's that they're very, very tiny. They're very, you know, minuscule, but they still work to inertially and so forth for sensors like that. So what I would propose is like the we're all talking about nowadays, like like the brain computer interfaces, you know, Neuralink and all that stuff. Um, sure. I would propose a system in which you could use actual like planar pieces of graphene, obviously at the nano level 
where if you have any of these ionic fluids going through your brain, or even if you had to supplement it with any, with some kind of functionalized material, like let's say you took what they call a microfluidic system. And for those of you out there, that's essentially a very, very small piece of plastic or acrylic with little tiny tubes that go through it. And you can make them work like uh, all kinds of like plumbing systems, essentially. And one of the things that they're used for a lot is for uh, droplet formation. And so one could imagine that let's say you needed a, lo a locally delivered medication, you could both deliver and test on the same, on the same device, micro device, directly from the outside. So essentially you're using a shunting system to push drug delivery into that part. And then it can actually come back out, test through the same MEMS device as a lab on a chip. And if necessary, because there's droplets going down this graphene, it might be able to actually power the onboard battery to send signals via antenna. That's amazing. I think that would certainly be very incredible to have these devices in our bodies, especially in our brain. But do you think, like, would, would there be the potential scenario where, say, one of these devices poke through, like, um, your vessel or something like that? You, mean, you talk about from the, from the inside, the yeah. inside of the brain? Um, I mean, there's always the potential of things like cysts and growth and things as well that that entrap the functionality. Yes, it's been shown that certain nanomaterials have sharp edges because they are only 2D in structure. So if you can imagine taking a razor blade, I mean, we, we can see all, yeah. all the dimensions of that. We've got something that we sharp. don't even see the, exactly very sharp. So yes, excuse me. Yes, the answer to that is yes, it certainly could happen. It could damage surrounding interstitial fluid and, you know, all, all kinds of uh, structural elements. So, yes, that would need to be engineered very, very precisely and probably take a decade or more to make it a reality. Just in a decade or more? I would I would say I would say um, because the thing is, and I'm sure you've seen this, I'm sure your listeners have seen this, too, is that. um and I'll do a side note to this afterwards because I think you'll appreciate it. Right? Is Certainly. now that we have now that we have AI uh, available to us, it typically will give us insights into things that sometimes even collectively people can't figure out, unless you see things like in in this grand versus completely empirical nature, right? So it, remember, whenever you whenever you feed an AI system training data. It's taking that and it's learning from it and it's learning yeah. from it. Right. So, but the thing, the thing when I see AI is first of all, I'm an, I'm an eternal optimist in general, but every single time I've designed almost anything through my entire life, the first thing I, I do is I, I look at both sides of the coin at that moment. So I can design a hammer, but are you going to build a house with it? Or are you going to knock somebody out with it? Right. Yeah. So, you know, the, it's it's that whole concept that, that I was a sword. Right, exactly, exactly. And and I mean, like even 3D printers, when when 3D printers were first coming out, which is like the mid 90s, I started to see them at that technical technical school conferences. Um, the very first thing I thought in my head, but did not say out loud because I'm like, this will happen. And it did happen. I said, imagine if I were sitting on a plane, I had access via say like a smartphone 
and I could send a file from my phone to my printer at home. And by the time I got there, I had a template to put together a disposable gun. It's been done. It's been done. So those are the things that people like me need to think about at the at the onset, because we can see how those things progress. And it, it, it's I cannot afford with some of the things that I do to be you know willfully ignorant. Certainly. Just to push back a little on AI. So mm -hmm. certainly AI has the potential to do good and harm um, yeah. in multiple scales to um, just our society in general. What are some of the pros and cons you see? In okay, well, the, pro, the pros are, I think is it's going to bring us closer together. The cons is that it's going to bring us closer together, right? So, I mean, someone like me that that's a working interpreter, it'll put someone like me out of, you know, eventually out of uh, business to a certain degree, okay? That's important. And, yes, to, to a certain degree, because the thing is, obviously, if I'm speaking with someone on site or even now like via a zoom interface um there are the cues there are the 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 uh the expressions perhaps that they don't understand that is, uh, is some kind of of um uh what's what i'm looking for modismo in spanish <laughs> a um a, like an idiom idiomatic expression right so and and that'll actually happen to me quite a bit is i've been being trained in several languages, and as I know you are, it's funny because there are times where a word in Spanish will come to me faster than in English, even in English. English is my native language. <laughs> yeah, um, and like especially like with idioms, they're very hard to translate across different languages. And there's where AI has is a problem. Mm. There's where AI is a problem. Yeah, like in the case of like it's raining cats and dogs, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Any person speaking any other language wouldn't be able to understand that, right? Yeah, it's it's, uh, and those are the things that make I think are going to still require a human touch, um, and bring us a lot more like empathetic communication. Is knowing that we truly do understand both the context and the application. You know, so so th those are some of the things. Uh, however, the bad side of, of the AI, you know, coin is that because things will be made a lot easier, that's what's going to cause the issue, right? It's like when you give when you give uh, you know a computer a, 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 a you know training data or a data set, again, it, as you know, it's it's learning more and more and more. It's like okay you know, file that and file that in this, in this box, put that there. And then when I need it, you know, make this kind of like curate that information. If you think about it, the average person, and, and I, that doesn't, I'm not meaning to say that in, in a bad way by any sense, but the average person does not understand the implications of, oh, I don't know, a, a, a rain shower versus applications of graphene. It's like, oh, well, here's, yeah. you know, and so what what AI is good for is it can pull those different resources and combine them and kind of ma makes kind of like a synergy between things, yeah, which people, right. And people, but people can't do that as easily or sometimes are not willing to think outside the box be like, oh, that has nothing to do with this. Maybe it does, but you're not considering, but the computer is, mm. you know, so th those are the things to think about.
I've also heard people say, though, that the biggest limitation AI actually has is that it's terrible at thinking outside the box because it's trained inside the box. It's designed to operate within the box. It can get the most details of contents within the box, but right, right. it doesn't have the creativity to take a step out. Well, see, no, and there's that's a good point as well. But the what what scares me as far as like truly looking, you know, beyond this is actually going to be something like what is what is generative AI? What are they going to do? What are they going to decide to do? Because remember, all these systems, they're they're always trying to find the more the most efficient way to get to the end result. Exactly. And that's that whole thing of like the whole like Skynet type thing, right? It's like, um, we'll build this at our own peril because eventually it will figure out that we're getting in its way and it will just do away with us. Right. So it's like, so that, that, that is, that is the fear. I know that there's a lot of people out there that talk about that just like on the surface, but I mean, the more and more you look into it, um, even with things, I was giving an example to my friend the other day of, uh, of, automated vehicles uh, autonomous vehicles right so they do what they call time series analysis and they use computer vision and all this neat stuff and it says okay when you go down the street you know this time and you see that obstacle don't worry that's a fire hydrant don't hit it so it looks at it and says it was this size it was red in color it was at this location on the street but what happens if the next time that car goes by there's a little girl stand standing dressed like little red riding hood and they took the they took the fire hydrant out, and then just runs it over. Right, right. And terrible things may happen. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I mean, it, it's the same thing. Of I think there's something to be said for human intuition, right? Because a lot of these systems are doing okay. This is factor logic based. This is factor logic based. Okay, we're going to curate. Here's the best answer that we can give you, right? But the thing is. The intuition would be, hey, if I program this to always do this, we have to always think of the what if, what if, what if. And we can react on the spot versus, oh, that's nothing that was here yesterday. Bang, right? So th those are the things that, that are kind of being missed out, especially with things like computer vision. So people that know about face recognition or uh, you know, even like OCR, uh, character recognition for things like documents just because that's what it says doesn't mean that's the intent behind it right so oh, certainly so i think i think like the mental health uh profession is going to have a boom because you know when you see people like oh i've been displaced or i don't have the skill set so now i don't have this job or i didn't know the answer to the best of my ability so i got a, a poor progress report or an evaluation you know i so i think that a lot of those are it's going to drive a lot of mental health issues in the future do you think mental health professionals will be replaced by ai as well yes and no yes and no because and this is a fact my friend and i my friend that i actually did this we actually wrote on to, i don't know if it was bard or chat gpt or one of the ai systems right we we typed in just to see what it would do he said i think i'm going to kill myself we, we literally just wrote that in there and i think it came up came back with like well if you feel that's the best solution then i'd encourage you or something really yeah yeah, so you know you can. I'm surprised again, not you, filtered by RLHF. Right. So I mean, those, those things still happen. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. So, 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 I mean, probably like one of the outliers since nowadays, I know, especially with ChatGPT, it's highly um, tuned to uh, deal, do away with certain responses, which is probably for the better. I mean, if you want to right. ask, AI, how do I make a bomb? How do I build a gun? Mm -hmm. um, I think the people that would even go to AI to ask those questions don't have the skill set to build it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and see, and see, using that, and I'll say as like a, a kind of nefarious example, if you will, right? It's like when, like the in my mind, and it's like, okay, how do I, how do I build a bomb? How do I build, you know, whatever? Just using your example, right? It's like if you look from from the the back in history, and I mean ancient history through till today, we haven't advanced. What did we do? We had rocks, we had sticks, etc. So what what did we continuously do throughout history? How do we make this more accurate and more deadly and use less of it? So, True. you know, we're, if you look even like to the muskets, it's like, well, you've got the cloth and the powder and yada. Okay. But the thing is, they finally figured out, wait a minute, if I put all of these constituent parts in one case, it'll work. I don't have to do all these steps. Right. And that's the thing is, is now, now, I mean, we've just ad uh, adapted it. So I have an interesting question for you, if, if I may. Yeah. Yeah. So have you, have you ever considered that we do not live anywhere close to being beyond the stone age? And I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example so that you and your listeners can work through your head, right? So think about back to even living in the caves, right? So what do we have? We had, you know, the physical rock around us. We had, the, you know, we had ground. We had, the let's say, the trees or the forest wherever you live outside, you know. So here's what we've done over history. This is as far as we've come, right? So what do we do? We build houses typically with wooden frames. We've now reconstructed the trees or the forest around us. What do we do now? We have we have like it's let's say drywall or as they say sheetrock. You know, that's gypsum. That's rock. So we are literally building caves in the modern era, right? So instead of having grass, what do we do now? I don't know, carpet, right? If we were dependent upon the weather, we can now turn on a fan and have an instant breeze. Right? We have weather control in a closed environment and beyond that even our most advanced things on this planet run on rocks. So I could get copper ore right now from a rock and turn it into a circuit board, right? So it's nothing more. And if even if you look back further, then look into the, the ancient structures uh, whether, and pick a place like Machu Picchu uh, or, or, you know, um, I don't know, the, the pyramids, wherever, just pick an ancient structure. What did they do? They wrote things on rocks. They sometimes wrote things on tablets. And then regarding whatever culture was, they, they, they prayed to their, their higher power, right? To their God for help. Does it not make sense to you then that if I made this comparison? So we went from writing things on tablets, praying to the gods in the sky, etc., And we're, we're using that as our form of, of kind of like celestial communication. And then also as physical representations to other people well we're doing that now as well we have like i'm looking at you right now on a tablet okay so if i still want to communicate with you 
I type it on a tablet. Guess what? Apps have become simplified where they're icons, just like when they were carved in walls in relief, right? And instead of sending it up through the universe, I literally use a satellite and send it to you. So I call the gods and the gods answer. So many parallels to a very large extent as what you just said. Our lives are very similar to our ancestors' lives. And I think that is really most of the case. I mean, we're still extracting resources from whatever we can have access to, like whether it's stones, ores, trees, natural resources, rivers, etc. Um, I think the only difference, which is what technological advancement gives us, is the ability to extract different degrees of energy. Like certainly I can get a ton more energy out of nuclear fission than mm -hmm. by uh, burning some stones. Or, and I think that has made life easier in a lot of ways, but also brought new challenges. With unemployment, for example, every time a new technology emerges, people become unemployed. Um, like with, with the washing machine, people that used to wash clothes for a living went out of place. And every time when these new challenges emerge, uh, new solutions also emerge so that it's always in some form of dynamic equilibrium. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is part of my background is actually in workforce education and development. And like when you said that, my that workforce ed kind of like brain kicked in. Right. And one of the things that I one of the things that I used to teach all of my students and I share with my family and friends is that if you're worried about your job in any way, be proactive. So if let's say let's say you do have like a, a factory job for 30 years. Right. And they're like, well, these these machines are coming in and we don't need you anymore. So before that happens, approach the management, approach your, your union uh, shop steward or whatever and say, hey, what do we know that's coming down the pike? What are the skill sets that I need to learn to continue to work here? And is there a mechanism in place for me to learn them? Yeah. So proactive, proactive job retention, right? I think being proactive is extremely important and especially just being a lifelong learner in general. Education mm -hmm. doesn't stop the moment you step out of college. No, it's right, right. the beginning of the end or no, it's the end of the beginning of education. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's like, oh, wow, you just crossed the first bridge. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that as well. And I think a lot of that comes from being indecisive about a lot of things. Um, sometimes sometimes if you have a, a set, and I don't even want to say like, like a routine, but if you have the, the go-to that works for you, right? It's like, here's 30 different options out of how to, how to do something. But what is it that I use that brings me peace that I know that I still get the result either I or someone else wants, right? So, and because I also believe that if you didn't take the time to do something right the first time, when are you going to have time to do it again? Right, well, yeah, well, so, so the thing is, so the thing is, if you don't have that, if you don't have, if you didn't take the time to, to get the proper result the very first time, it, there might not ever be a chance to fix that mistake or to get it right. Because you can do that in a classroom, right? You can say, I would always tell my students, please make your mistakes here before it costs you your job in the real world. 
because you know so so and there's very few as i'm sure you know as i'm sure a lot of your listeners know there are very few actual mentors out there and sometimes they take all their knowledge and experience with them when they retire um but i think it's also incumbent on uh workers of any age to ask those with experience how did they learn because even if you don't use it it's another it's that other feather in your cap that other tool in your toolbox that you can use when you when you what you're doing isn't working i think a lot of people in general are still very kind and very willing to share this information if they're being approached granted i don't think anybody really has the incentive to proactively share their knowledge with other people unless they're in education or they really have the kindness to do so well i would push back on that a little bit right because especially like if you do um uh in like in my former profession as a chef right it's like the the my responsibility is that if i want to train you because you're either my coworker, my underling whatever word you want to use i need to ensure that you are competent so I think that that almost is kind of like like the 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 incentive from like almost like a very selfish self self preserving way is say hey if if I don't like what this guy or this girl's doing um or they're not performing the way they should or doing it the way they should it's incumbent upon me to share with them some clues after that it it's on them but they can't say I didn't quote like warn them or train them in advance that right is very true. Just to relate back to the argument on um, lifelong learning. So mm -hmm. I think the flip side for that is imagine a person asking, what's the point of doing that? I mean, what's the point of trying so hard just to keep a job? Um, I yeah, I think I know where you're going. See, yeah, here's the thing. Yes. See, any anything that you can occupy your mind with in general is never a lost pursuit. Because you're keeping conduction channels open in the brain and allowing different different experiences to give you a more robust circuitry, right? So um, even if you, I mean, I could I could study seventeen different languages, but if I never you if I only used you know ten of them, it still wasn't lost time because. I might, let's say in, in the age of, uh, in older in age, someone is developing dementia, Alzheimer's, whatever, they could even convey, now you now that we've got AI even, like I, if they don't know how to say window in their own language, but they've learned it in Turkish or German, they can put it into a cell phone nowadays and even with that, even with that diminished capacity, they can still communicate by the means they've learned in the past. Right. Which which is why I would always confuse some of my students, because I would I would do things that would help them. And I had I had a lot of my kids like ready to just say this on response. I would say everything I do and then they would repeat has a purpose or a reason. Right. So. What I would do when I would teach Spanish is I would write all of the all of the English in black and all of the Spanish in blue, and, right? But even if it was next to each other, right? And I say, guys, here's what this is trying to do. If you look at one and the other, you're getting the translation. You're recognizing by visual cue which of these is which. And I said, if you copy them in your notes the same way, you've made your own flashcards. 
right? So, and I would write both in cursive and in and in print on the board because it's been shown through neurological research that if you can write in cursive, it staves off dementia longer because your brain process, processes different script as though it actually is another language. So it keeps those neural channels open and plastic. Mm, the importance of making connections keeps the brain alive. But just to dig deeper on a maybe a more philosophical level, what's the motivation or to you specifically, what motivates you? What motivates me is knowing that there is so much human potential out there and it's almost frustrating to see like and this this will hopefully make sense in a moment right it's um like what i see when i when I, for example i'm the kind of person that could go to a supermarket and i if i'm the only one in that entire supermarket that that speaks english it won't bother me at all because you use things like uh just adaptation skills and constant learning and etc it's like perfect example when i was working as a chef in atlantic city there were 17 languages in one room. 17 so, languages? In one room, right. That's so, incredible. So it's, it's, it's amazing, right? But see, those are the things that I find like amazing experiences. Because if I wanted to know about German history, I'd go ask the guy from Germany. If I wanted to know how to cook Indian food, I'd ask the guy, the guy from India. You had You will learn so much more through interacting just with humanity in a much more diverse way rather than just reading it in your history book. What's their perspective? Because they were there when it happened. It gives you a much broad, broader view on so many things. I totally agree. There's such a rich tapestry in humanity and has yet to be discovered by a lot of us. And I think just the love for knowing is a great motivation for me. And yeah. this is why I started this pursuit, sharing knowledge to more people. What if for someone who's not motivated? What if they're not motivated? Um, well, to me, motivation is always a choice. Meaning I can, perfect perfect analogy. Remember, I, I think in analogies too, right? So if I give you a bag of cement, or rather, rather a, a bag of sand, a bag, a, uh, some water and some stones, right? So, excuse me. You, you can make a cement or a mortar with that if you wanted to, right? But you could just see those as raw materials and don't know how to use them. But if you were given more and more things to work with, the motivation per se that you would have is, okay, now what can I do with this stuff, right? But there's some people that do things like build walls, encounter them and don't scale them. There are some that get that hit it and don't stop. And then there are some that knock down those walls and use those bricks to pave their own path. Mm. And in this analogy, the walls would be. Oh, the, well, the, the walls in this case would be the things that are, that are uh, inhibiting those people from, from learning or moving forward or, or, you know, through a, a path of self-development, right? It's like, you've had all these resources around you and, Oh well, like what what did you what what did you want to make of it? And if you chose not to use that to your advantage, don't tell anyone that it wasn't available to you. And I mean, and and I've 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 um I've taught adjudicated youth. Uh, you know, I've I've 
I've taught um, uh, convicted inmates, you know, so I see the the members of society that people have already thrown, you know, kind of like thrown away. But you see some of the most inventive applications from some of them because a lot of them came from destitute, destitute poverty, you know, and and so what they've always had to do is be resourceful. But what I've seen, because, I mean, I've taught students that were the sons and daughters of ambassadors. And then I've taught, you know, uh, students that came in with the exact same clothes on every day because that's all they could afford. And the the ambassadors kids would expect things. The others knew that they had to earn it. Right. So when I had an ambassador's uh, son one day walk up to me when I was teaching uh, in Virginia and he said, um, Mr. Billet, I have a D in your class. That's not acceptable. What are you going to do about it? Very presumptively, like assuming that I was the one that caused this for him. Right. And so my immediate response was, I will give you the grade that you earn. Like, so th this is a reflection of your performance. I've, and I would I would always remind them, if you need me to uh, clarify things after school, stop and ask me a question, do it. Because I said, unless you get a really good professor that is very open and, and can work and mentor, I said, guess what, guys? For most people in this country, when you go to university, they'll lecture, they'll say, if you have questions, I've got office hours on the syllabus. We'll talk then. Goodbye. Said I would always remind them, you know, take advantage of teachers now that are offering themselves up to you at, for deeper understanding because you're not going to see it in college with, without a, an appointment. Definitely. It's being proactive and making, optimizing the amount of resources you can use to make better decisions. I think this was what I was sort of mentioning earlier in the sense that a lot of people are willing to help you if you reach out to them. But if you don't reach out to them, most people don't have the incentive to go to you and explain everything to you and help you, unless they're your parents or people that really care a lot about you. Yeah, yeah. If someone does not have a personal vested interest, they're, they're typically not going to quote unquote waste their time. Um, and, and see that, and that's, that's the whole, the whole conundrum here, right? Is that you have, and this is the whole, uh, backing me for, uh, like, I know you, you're doing an internship, like, uh, cooperative education, right? It's the whole, the old question is, um, how do I get a job without experience and how do I get experience without getting a job? So the answer is things like internships, cooperative education experiences, externships, job shadowing. But what you have to do for yourself is like you might be doing that to satisfy at a given goal. The importance there, though, is make friends and connections along the way, because if you treat them well, they'll treat you well. The importance of having connections, the importance of having friends. Just quoting an adage here, a good friend in need is a good friend indeed. I think oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And well, the other thing I learned from a teacher of mine, actually from my chef instructor when I was in career and tech school, um, he said something to me that I've internalized and I've always remembered. And he said, just remember the way you treat people that in the future, the same people that you meet going up your ladder, you'll see again on the way down.
And I thought that was very insightful, very insightful, you know, and, and just, I think when you and I had the conversation before, it's like, also be nice to nerds because they're going to be your boss someday. And I think it's just overall important to have empathy towards others um, in the process of being a human. You're, you're absolutely correct. I, it's, I think uh, what it is, is, uh, yes, what I've learned, and my, my father actually taught me this, and, and I, I can't thank him enough for it. He said, remember that as bad as a day as you're having, as bad as a week or whatever that you're having, everybody is struggling with something. It might not be visible to you. But everyone has their troubles. So remember that we are all we all have unique issues, but we don't have unique issues. They're just other manifestations of things that are personalized to that person. Mm. Right. So a grump. So if you walk up to someone, and say, hey, how are you doing? And they like frown or scowl at you. That might be that might not be who they are. It's who they are under their current circumstances. Yeah. Or... It's that whole book versus cover thing, right? Exactly. Don't judge a book by its cover. But right. first impressions also matter. Right. And a lot of times it's really hard to change that, to change that interaction. Maybe that bad experience tend to leave like a harder, harder scar or just a deeper insight. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I'm the one that believes that... Uh, all people, if whenever possible, should do things and accomplish things despite the barriers, even if it's for like like they would say when I was in school, like the satisfaction of doing a good job. Right. It's it's even if you were doing it for your own sake, even if, even literally if it's for like your emotional well-being. So like and it can be it can be little things. I mean, and when I say little things, I mean, like, man, it snowed. There's four inches of snow out there. But then. You've got that sense of accomplishment when your sidewalk's clean, right? And so it's you don't necessarily always need to, you know, graduate with a 4.0 from MIT. The fact that you had a math teacher in middle school that that said you were a clown, and now you just got whatever uh, a, a master's in engineering—that's a big accomplishment because you did that despite the perception of you. That's a lot of motivation right there. Right. To overcome the barriers and to go upwards. I think, you know, a, a lot of people nowadays gamify life. I think there's a lot of sense because when you do that, you're actually seeing missions and you're seeing purpose in the sense mm -hmm. that you want to over, uh, you want to surpass whatever is in front of you and move to a higher level. Exactly. And, and, and that can be even like, like the, the kind of like leveling up or upskilling or whatever term or, or discipline you want to use. I think it it's also, you know, very important because what a lot of people do, and, and I, I'm, I'm one that likes to be very appreciative of people for both who they are and what they do. And uh, I think deep down, we all would at least like to be not, not maybe not like raised but at least at least appreciated for the things that we continue to do that we might have done in the past that's affecting something or someone now and i i really don't think that there's enough gratitude in society around the world that really demonstrates that yeah just in general i mean most people don't really think that much about the people 
who've helped them in the past. They just move on, move past towards that. Do you think gratitude is important? Oh, gratitude is invaluable. Absolutely. I mean, um, I had a, if, if you want to, if you want to like a life changing, or I should say I've had, I've had two instances in my life that I will never forget uh, because they were so impactful to the point I was actually crying. Like it, it touched me that deeply, right? Is I had a, um, I, when I was teaching in Virginia, I had a student that was an active MS-13 gang member. And he had been arrested several times for trying to actually attack people with machetes. Okay. This was a bad dude. He called me one day out of the blue and he said, because of the, because of the impact that you had on my life, I now work for DC police gang unit. Wow. Um, and, or until you, until you've been in a situation, like I was interpreting once and I had this grandmother who had this child that was being evaluated for some kind of medical issue. And, um, she, she was telling me like, she just came here from Puerto Rico. She doesn't understand the language and, uh, all of her family and friends are back there and she's completely lost. And she literally broke into tears and collapsed in my arms because I was the first one that was able to understand her. You, you don't forget things like that. You know, you, um, I mean, this woman literally almost like passed out because she was so grateful. And I mean, very few of us, I think, whether it's family, friends, whatever, truly appreciate the value that they bring to the world or, or that they bring to us personally. Going back to the question you gave me, I sort of want to toss it back a little bit. You mm -hmm. said that there are a lot of similarities between the Stone Age and the modern era. Or right. Well, the contemporary era. Right. What are some of the things we've changed or improved on? Do Do you think we're progressing? Um, I don't think that we've been. Let's see. I think. I think one of the things that's both beneficial and detrimental is that we now have instant access to information anywhere in the world and that can be both empowering and it can also be detracting so we you know we used to have the kind of like grapevine well i heard it from so and so i heard it from so and so whatever we also excuse me we also now have the ability to track and i don't want to say track but i guess that's the best word i can think of track progress in real time so you know think back to even the colonial era right if i if i sent you a letter you got that letter unless i waited three weeks for it to come back i didn't even know if you got it if you say okay i'm going home now to whatever i'm in let's say whatever massachusetts going to virginia whatever when you leave again you have no way of knowing that person's even died on the way uh if their horse or whatever died on the way if they you know contracted cholera or who knows what else or if when they got home they're dead and you'll never hear from them again i think the fact that we can now reach out in real time and communication can be very beneficial but like i said it can also be very detrimental because you only know what i show you in real time well, as soon as this camera goes off you don't know what's going on i diving and you would never know it right <laughs> yeah so I think that's the thing that that's that we there are things we tend to fall we tend to become entrapped in our literally our own devices, right? So I think that's what's happened is our devices have made us more 
powerful, but they've also enslaved us more. So it's a double-edged blade. Absolutely. And again, as an inventor, that's how I think. You know, it's like, what 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 can this do? And then you go, oh man, what can this do? Like, wow, like I don't want that to happen. Yeah. So yeah. Then why do you invent? I invent because I know that even if I do not personally benefit from anything, I want to know that I've contributed something to the world that is a tangible, usable thing by all, not even for my own satisfaction, but for the betterment of everyone else. You know, if it, if it means I've, I can, if I design a new, uh, whatever, um, okay, let me give you a, an actual example. When I was when I was in college, I did a lot of very I don't know if you want to say like non-normal things or whatever. And I I had I had a, a professor of mine that was teaching a class on uh diversity. Right. And so he said, I want all you guys to write a paper on diversity. And I'm like, okay. And I, I stood up in the middle of class and I said, What if I bring you something you've never seen before? And he goes, he goes, uh, well, I've been teaching this class for 30 years. And I said, I said, I'll bet you $10. I'll bring you something you've never seen before in this class. So what I did is I befriended a friend at Penn State who was completely blind. And I lived in his world. And I learned how to cane travel. And I learned how to listen for what they call sound shadows and things. So I, and then after doing that, I actually, and this was in 2005. 2002 i have it actually a, a paper on it um i designed a a pen essentially that could write in 3d that was meant for a blind user to draw and feel it in real time that's what they're drawing and i took in that invention to my professor i got an a and two weeks later i was in baltimore presenting at the national federation of the blind and then speaking at a conference in erie all about it because the thing is, I mean, like I said, I, I tend to be very atypical in a lot of things. So um, I don't want to say I was bored because I wasn't bored. I was I was focused. Right. I would whenever I would uh, meet like disabled veterans or amputees or anything else, I'd say I want to live that world and see what it's like and see how I can improve upon it. So quite literally for several months when I was living in Albuquerque, I physically tied my arm behind my back. So I would only have one arm intentionally and lived all day long just that way. And so what I was like, okay, this, this seems like it'd be hard to make, uh, um, to use cutlery. So I designed a system you could use with one hand that you could operate, cut and pick up any food with knife, fork and spoon as a composite device. Because I knew that someone could use it someday. Are people using it nowadays? Uh, I don't know if they are. It, it was never patented, but I, like I said, somewhere I probably have that prototype too. But it works. I I've eaten. Really hope people are using it. With it, yeah. yeah. I've eaten steak salad, uh, apple pie. You know, so it it has the sharpness, but yet you can also be gentle with it. It's it's designed for that reason. It's very versatile. I think to some to some extent, the word inventor is almost. Um, quite obsolete nowadays. Like people tend to say, well, this person is a researcher, he's a scientist, he's an entrepreneur. But the word inventor seems to have faded away. Like 
back with like the 1800s. What are your thoughts on this phenomenon? I, I think that what happens now is it's, uh, for lack of a better term, market saturation, right? Yeah. So everybody knew uh, Edison, everybody knew Tesla, everybody knew, you know, you name it. Like we can pick, go through history and we can go, there's a famous inventor, there's a famous inventor. Why? Because that's before we could all get PhDs in applied physics. That's before, you know, all these people, it's like, why do I need to quote unquote, uh, you know, invent when I've got a, a structured body of knowledge that I can study and society now tells me that when I have my PhD, it shows that I'm an expert in that. Okay. But now what are you going to do with it? That's right. True. So you don't make anything new, then you're just holding on to it. Right. So, so I think that inventors, that inventor term has gone away. Um, because now if you want to pursue something truly novel, unless you're kind of like the maverick like me, people do it, like you said, they work in research teams. Someone has a crazy idea, it goes through a committee, they get their, they, they write, you know, the grant or get the funds for it, and then they take off. And even if they're, they're not successful, at least there's a case study for somebody. Yeah. I mean, like maverick search is very very rare nowadays uh, especially in the science community uh, scientific community i mean you might have le uh, legendary mathematicians from 100 years ago that proved um crazy theorems on their own but nowadays people work in groups i think there's a limitation to that you see in terms of the ideation process i don't think it's ever possible for multiple people to simultaneously come up with an idea it's always somebody comes up with something and the whole group knows it, and then it's communicated yeah, yeah. to the outside world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're right. It does it it does tend to be that that one, like you said, like almost like the maverick, the one that was willing to take the chance. It worked, and then everyone else says, "Look what we did," right? Or you know, there's there's the true like quote unquote innovator in the group, but everyone else wants to you know be on on those coattails. Yeah, and, and I mean, just not to throw like group research under the bus, but Usually what happens is, I mean, it could be that multiple people come up with multiple innovations and it's just compiled together in the same work. But what usually happens is, at, at least in terms of the idea generation, it's usually one critical point that's being surpassed by one individual. All right. Well, I'd like you to consider this. Is any major thing that we consider an innovation, now, I mean, literally, literally, uh, you can... Any individual can be an inventor in their daily lives and they do it every day without knowing it, right? Is, I mean, if you have your hands full at the, uh, with groceries trying to go into your house, um, but you can literally figure out a way to shift the weight so you can get that by a lock or whatever, you have invented a means of adaptation in real time. And we're actually excellent at doing that. We're excellent coming up with new solutions to problems right exactly exactly and then that that's part of neuroplasticity too right it's like uh, there there may be like oh man i gotta put all these down then i gotta open the door and then i gotta go reach back over and pick no you don't if you can if you can think creatively that it still gets the same process done that's all that matters right that's that's all that matters and you know it, I don't know. Like I said, I just I just tend to look at things from a lot a lot of different 
point of views that I think some people don't. And sometimes that makes me look really weird, but I don't care. Yeah, just solve the problem. Go straight at it. I think more inventors. We need more people that are problem solvers and more people that actually bring new things to the table that are unafraid of traditional opinions and breaking rules. The, the the thing the thing that always blows my mind and this this is the other thing that I'm sure if you asked any innovator out there they'd probably share the same sentiment right is the thing that that bothers me the most and I this is meant as a factual statement not as not as sounding pompous so please don't don't take it that way okay or you or the listeners it frustrates us to know that there are so many things out there in the world are still being done the hard way right because it's like if you go home and you've got all these files and all the, and all this stuff and whatever, but no one's listening to you, right? It's like every time I see a flood, I want to laugh and cry at the same time, right? Because obviously, I don't want any of that. I don't want disaster to befall anyone, right? No. But you see people that like live on beaches that have that have um, they're they're built up on posts and whatnot on the right. And I think, okay, guys, why are we not making? Why are we not making like 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 uh hollow like hold um if you know what do you know what a TPMS structure is? TPMS structure is a triply periodic um uh oh my my M went off there uh oh uh, oh it's a trip essentially all it means is that it's it's a whole bunch of repeating patterns they're recursive and so you can make building products out of it you can make different like engineer materials and so if you could imagine a very simple way to look at this would be say like a, a rubik's cube with a whole bunch of holes in it so it still forms as it's still structurally sound as a cube but now it's got holes in it same basic concept so imagine if you can make blocks or you can make posts that again had that hollow space so now when the water came in it ran through it versus knocking it over and like, and to my mind, I'm like, why is that so hard? Right? Yeah. Um, why aren't people adapting the strategy? Right. And or like, even even um, I was I proposed to a friend of mine the other day about different kinds of building materials and how to approach them differently. Like, for example, natural cork is an is a natural fire retardant. It also is a sound dampener. It also obviously keeps water out of it right so what i was proposing to this person was imagine a piece of drywall that has a cork backing to it or maybe even has hard riveted sections for conductors where you could physically put your wall up which would also build an electrical circuit which would also be soundproofing and a fire retardant and guess what if there was a flood or something that knocked it over you could find it again because it would be floating that's the way I think, though. It's it's like, what is it that needs to happen? We need to build a wall. Well, what else is behind the wall? Where well, this is? Well, what if there's another concern? Well, it's fire. Okay, how do we take care of that? What else will that do? Oh, well, it's going to cut down noise. Okay, well, then put it all together and build it. Yeah, and I think that's just the most general idea of solving a problem, which we've talked about, I think, twice or thrice now um, in our past hour. But the importance of solving a problem cannot be underscored enough i mean it's, it's so important and i think the procedures to solving a problem is just identify the problem see what you have see what you need to know try to make connections and see if it goes through i think um 
the joy and the sense of accomplishment that comes from solving a problem and actually mm -hmm. knowing that you did something of great meaning is just incredible. And I think it's yeah. a great source of just power and motivation for people that, that need that motivation. And, oh, absolutely. And, and it is. And see, I also believe in, in celebrate the small accomplishments too. Like the guy that got three hours of sleep, but is somehow functioning at work. That is something that you can, that you can appreciate your own capability that you're overcoming based upon, you know, a, a discrepancies of something, you know, like when you give yourself credit, it's like, wow, I, I actually made it through work today. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm completely tired, but I did it. <laughs> it's that sense of personal accomplishment, you know? Yeah. And that joy overcomes. So Mr. Billet, um, as we're approaching to the end of our conversation, I'd like to ask you one last question. What's some advice you'd like to give to maybe young people, people still in school that are aspiring to contribute to society and maybe don't really know what they're um, supposed to do or what they want to do? Consider everything in the world as a raw material. And whether it's knowledge that you choose to take or not take, whether it's how you observe things and dynamics and groups, whether it's physical items that you see and you learn how they work, every single experience that you have in your entire life, even the most mundane things will serve you well if you apply them daily. So, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's the, if some, there could be three or four things in, in this a condo right now that could happen and if they happen, I could probably, because I know I'm so familiar with my surroundings, I know what I could do to rectify it, right? So, and and even, again, also consider how to get something done that does not need to follow the classical rules. Like, oh, well, I need to make ice cubes, but I don't have an ice cube tray. Well, there's other ways to do that. Or, you know, so it's it's you truly you truly being truly resourceful. And again, whether that's whether that's uh, observing people, observing physical things, using them, practicing using things like new tools, talking to a diverse group of people. So it's not only the group think you're not only brainwashed into one point of view, you have more to consider, which gives you more to work with mentally and physically. All right, Mr. Billet, thanks so much for your advice and for your time being on the podcast i think we've had a great conversation and a lot of things to be learned um, myself as well and, and i truly appreciate uh, your invitation and i've truly enjoyed our conversation as well so thank you so much thank you for tuning into another episode of david talks with i hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as i did if you haven't subscribed yet please subscribe to the podcast on youtube spotify or any major platform and now friends let me end with a quote from shakespeare There's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. And now, friends, let me end with a quote by Shakespeare. There's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Thank you.